are back with another episode of the anarchist experience episode 329 aka year seven week 27 uh coming at you this week as always i'm your host mr richie rich along with mc and our regular co-host uh ks is apparently jo- enjoying freedom fest which there are some people uh here uh in new hampshire that have have gone to that as well so I've seen posts about it. Looks like a, a pretty interesting conference. Have you been following that at all? It's okay if you haven't. Uh, no, I have not. Okay. I'm sure there'll be videos and clips and whatnot following it. And I, you know, looking forward ever so slightly to seeing those. Um, not much going on in the news, like more, more Joe Biden gaffes. You caught the latest town hall <laughs> quotes. Yeah, I'm missing out on everything yeah. this week. That's okay. Apparently. That's okay, because we're going to jump right into headlines. Because, again, there, there wasn't much going on. I've got one, two, three, four, five. I've got seven headlines. So let's just let's just run through those. Uh, headline, what happens to discredited drug cops? They get rebranded as gun cops. Uh, headline, people are now 3D printing Lego guns following U.S. gunmaker halt of the Block 19 sales. Uh, headline, Canada's wait times for health care are huge. Activists blame free markets. A headline, Trump slashed regulations that stopped Americans from having a good shower. Biden is bringing them back. A headline, Americans can't travel because State Department employees won't work. A headline, young idealist goes off the grid, gets smeared as bigots in a cult. And finally, headline, company embodies the right to repair by redesigning auto parts that constantly fail and selling them cheaper. Any place in particular you want to start this week, MC? (laughs) No, anywhere's good. All right. Let's do this one then. People are now 3D printing Lego guns following the U.S. gunmaker halt of the Block 19 sales. Um, you, you almost have to, like, check the show prep and see the see the pictures in the, in the article. Uh, I came across this, uh, I think it was last week. I forget, I forget the manufacturer. Oh, there you go. Culper Precision. I guess I should just read the article. Culper Precision. They came out with a, a Glock 19 framed, but it looks like Lego bricks, and you can actually attach Legos to it. In fact, part of it, you know, the, the front sight and the rear sight on the original Block 19, as they called it, were um, like uh, the, the Lego Star Wars lightsabers. <laughs> and they went, okay, we're going to start selling this thing, and people threw a shit fit. And so much so that, you know, within, you know, I want to say within hours, but at at least within like a day of the news breaking, they had pulled it, not listing it for sale. Too bad, so sad, you can't have one. Even Lego jumped in and said like, well, we by no means endorsed the the creation of this product. But it was hilarious. It's colorful, Lego blocky, you know. And then then, so this headline, people are now 3D printing it uh, since you're not going to sell it to us. Into the article. We'd noted days ago how Danish toy maker The Lego Group 
sent a ceased and desist letter to U.S. gunmaker for selling a Glock handgun kit that resembled Lego blocks. It was also noted that once the 3D printing community develops computer-aided design kits for Lego guns that anyone can print at home, then there's no way to stop it. While Utah-based Culper Precision's Block 19 Lego handgun had been pulled off shelves, we predicted that the 3D printing community would begin printing their own Lego guns. Come to find out Saturday, that's precisely what Redditor Chairman Juan on uh, the subreddit Guns has done. Called the Mega Glock, Chairman Juan posted a picture of what appears to be a Glock 19, they said, Mega Glock 19X, my 3D printer knockoff of Culpepper Precision's Block 19 they got in trouble for. The slide cover only works for RMR cut slides. It screws into the optics mounting holes so it doesn't fly off into your face. So apparently his is just like a, a clip-on uh, onto the normal slide. Another Redditor said, I think anybody ought to be able to do whatever they, they want to do. Fuck seatbelts, for instance. Cocaine's bad for you, but whatever, go ahead. Uh, the person was referring to the Lego community shooting down Culper Precision's Block 19. Chairman Juan appears to have released files for the 3D-printed Lego Glock. So what's the Lego group going to do now that private citizens are now printing Lego guns at home? Spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not more, and send cease and desist letters to everyone who prints the guns? Uh, end of the article. Short, but fun. Uh, can you stop the 3D-printed revolution like is that just why do people try your thoughts mc um because it gives it more popularity if 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 you claim somebody's trying to stop it okay so that brings up a I different question are people feigning that they're getting <laughs> cease and desist lords in order to generate this like if they can oh glock you know uh, lego told us give us a cease and desist and that didn't happen and lego comes out and goes like oh we didn't send them a cease and desist i don't know what they're talking about that, I don't think they're fanning it, but <laughs> well, I think they're happy to get it. Yeah, but I mean, but you could, you could in, in absolutely feign it in the future, though, if you think that's going to get you popular, right? That's the whole like juicy Smollett thing, right? Wasn't getting, wasn't getting anywhere. Feign being assaulted in a in a race related incident just to get attention. Like it, there's you know people do it, no doubt. I just I think it's hilarious how quickly this happened. Right, like, and and some people tried to walk back on on the the block nineteen, go like, oh no, it was a joke post, you know, it wasn't. They weren't really going to sell it. I absolutely think they were going to sell it. <laughs> I absolutely think they were going to sell it. I thought it was hilarious, you know, um, just and it, it wouldn't be, you know, I don't know if it was in reaction to uh, or just on their own, so. I've, I've found articles, gun-related articles, over the last couple of months, um, some of which were like the the real guns were painted um, and had attachments on them to make them look like Nerf guns, right? Like bright blue, bright orange, you know, looks like a Nerf gun. There's a, there's a holster maker out there that's actually selling a Nerf holster now, right, as part of, you know, as part of this complaint on guns looking like toys, so I really think that this Culper Precision got wind of that and went, you know what we got to do, right? Legos, right? And then again, they they like they engineered it so that the the flat parts where there were you know the Lego brick pieces, 
that those you could attach actual Legos to it. You could build this thing out to look however you wanted with whatever Lego set you want. Uh, again, provided that you don't you know mess up functionality and who knows how those parts go in flying when the when the slide starts moving. But I absolutely think that they had intended to sell it and then you know got got shut down. Um, but like I said, you know, there's it's once it hits the 3D printers, it's over. You know, you you can you can say what you want, you can do what you want. I was talking to an, uh, another firearm enthusiast um, last week, the week before, I don't remember. And, you know, he was talking about like, you know, 3D printing AR lowers. I go, ah, how's that technology? You know, because there's, there's a handful of ways to do it. And personally, uh, I don't necessarily trust in the, the, the polymer frames that are being 3D printed. Like I, I, I don't have a 3D printer. Uh, but it just, it seems to me that that piece should be metal of some kind. Mm-hmm. And he goes, no, yeah, you know, pointed me out to some YouTube videos, but which I haven't gotten around to watching yet. And basically said like, you know, the technology, the, the polymer technology is catching up like hmm. for, a, for a budget gun. Like this is not going to be your high end rifle in, in any stretch of the imagination, but for your budget gun, like that polymer frame seems to be holding up to a lot of the stress tests that they're doing on. I go, all right, you know, I will, I will give it another look and reconsider it, you know, later off into the future. Um, but it's good to know that they're making strides. So the, the 3d printers are, you know, catching up, I guess. I don't know how to, how to phrase that better. Um, but they're getting to the point where, yeah, uh, just as good, you know, maybe I, I know that's to some people a derogatory term. Yeah, it's just as good. Maybe, maybe just as good in, in the near future. Um, I have another friend who every, every time I'm like looking, looking for a certain type of firearm goes like, why don't you just build one? Why don't you just make one? I go, ah, I don't want to, like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to take the time or the energy. A lot of the, um, 80% stuff that's available on the market now is not conducive for left-handers like me. So I go, eh, mm. I could, but then everything's all weird, you know? Like certain ones you can swap the parts, but not the not the three D printed ones as of late, or the uh, the eighty percent ones that you can buy. So um, the left hander thing, I I never really thought about that. Um, how many guns are comfortable for left handers? Well, okay, so it's not it's not about which guns are comfortable. Like if you if you handed me, um, okay, for example, if you handed me like a standard nineteen eleven, which is a fairly common carry gun, right? For a lot of people, mm-hmm. you're familiar with that. Mm-hmm. Um, on the standard issue one, the thumb safety is only on one side of the firearm and it's not on the side where my thumb would go. So I can't actuate the safety in the normal with, with the normal firing grip. I have yeah, to, who needs the safety anyway? Well, for that one in particular, right? You have to have the safety on like that's, that is like common practice for carrying a 1911 because of the way you carry it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you draw it, right, you, you, you draw and then you actuate the safety as you're drawing it. Well, I can't do that because to, to get my grip, the safety's on the wrong hand, on the wrong side. So you can, you can buy ambidextrous safeties, right, and, and retrofit it properly, fine, um, Ah, but then you got to, you know, if, if it's time for a reload, right? The the magazine release button is only on one side. 
So I can't, I can't actuate that without breaking my firing grip, right? I gotta mm. like, I gotta break my grip and like pinch my finger weird and push it in with my finger and then, you know, and then re re grip. So it's not conducive to that. So you go, ah, well you can get an ambidextrous magazine release and retrofit that. So that you can, there's all these things, um, that you can do even, um, even Glocks like, uh, a fourth gener up to the fourth generation is not really conducive for left-handed people. Like the the Gen fives, the Gen the, the Generation five Glocks um, have a, a, an ambidextrous slide release, so that you can actuate the the slide release um, from either hand. But the magazine release by default is for right-handers. And you can get, you know, an, uh, you can upgrade to an Abbey one, or you can swap that around and make it a left-handed gun. So it's not, you know, and I go like, what do other left-handers do? And the answer I always got was, you just get used to it. You know, you, you figure it out. And I go, all right, fine, fuck it. You know, but to, to, to spend the money on 3D printed or 80% that doesn't have those ambidextrous, ambidextrous features available, I go, eh probably not going to do it. Like I'm not going to, you know, as fun as it would be to, you know, to, to start doing the 80% thing. It just, it's unlikely that I'm going to, I'm going to do that as well. Even the AR platform, right? Every, you know, uh, a, a lot of the mechanics are defaulted for right-handed shooters and you can get ambidextrous equipment for it and swap out parts. And go, okay. Yeah. So you gotta, you gotta get extra parts. And they're not as ubiquitous, I see. right? So it's a little bit more. It's a little bit more expensive to be a left-handed shooter. Yeah, this uh, Lego gun looks a lot like some of the guns on the video game Call of Duty. Okay, are you looking at the article, or did you Google the Block Nineteen? Yeah, I, I found the article. Okay, Google the, the, those are like the three D printed ones, though. Like, find the uh, if you Google uh, Block Nineteen or something, and you might get the original one. And that one is also. Oh, I will do that. Okay, I thought I thought you were like exclaiming that you were doing it, and you, you'll see like the they they've used actual Lego bricks to uh, put in the sights. It's hilarious, but yeah, you know the 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 fact that the the I think another key part of the article is the fact that people are three D printing it or are making these files available, just goes to show that there was a market for this product, <laughs> right? Like. <laughs> People would have bought the Block 19 if they if they had made it available and didn't get the cease and desist uh, from Lego. Even Glock, I think Glock said something like, you know, another yeah, another statement I, I saw from Glock was like that they don't endorse um, any any of this. Uh, well, what did they say? We don't we don't endorse aftermarket parts for the for Glocks. I was like, dude, you, you like you're the most aftermarket parts gun on the market, like. <laughs> Aftermarket parts for Glock is as as abundant as it gets. Like you can, you know, how can you not endorse all this aftermarket stuff? Ah, because the, the slogan is perfection. Except it's not. I guess the the Gen Five comes close with its you know lefty friendly features, but that's about it. All right, moving on. Moving on. All right. I think I thought I had one more. Did I have one more gun story here? Ah, yes. What happens to discredited drug cops? Uh, they get rebranded as gun cops. Ripped for use of excessive force, the Springfield, Massachusetts Narcotics Bureau is becoming a firearms investigation unit. Now, this one is from Reason. 
There may be nothing more addictive than the desire to ban stuff. Even as one prohibition winds down, those who would control our actions almost always retarget their efforts towards some newly discovered threat to public safety. In the 1930s, prohibition agents shifted to chasing drug dealers without breaking stride. More recently, the collapse of anti-marijuana efforts prompted a flurry of new scares, culminating in enforcement efforts against vaping. And now Springfield, Massachusetts is replacing its scandal-ridden narcotics unit with a team to enforce laws against firearms, as if that new mission will magically dispel a history of violence against the public. Springfield Police Commissioner Cheryl Claprood is a, in a continued effort to modernize the department and move the Springfield Police Department forward, is today announcing the creation of a firearms investigation unit to address the uptick in gun violence in the city and the reallocation of narcotics investigation resources to regional and state partnerships. Springfield, Massachusetts announced on July 9th, the new Springfield Police Department Firearms Investigation Unit will replace the department's narcotics unit, which Commissioner Claproot is, with this move, decommissioning. The decommissioning, quote-unquote, of the Narcotics Bureau, even as anti-drug efforts by the department continue elsewhere, comes a year after a U.S. Department of Justice report about the unit concluded, there is reasonable cause to believe that Narcotics Bureau officers engage in a pattern or practice of excessive force in violation of the Fourth Amendment of the United States Constitution. Specifically, our investigation identified evidence that Narcotics Bureau officers repeatedly punch individuals in the face unnecessarily, in part because they escalate encounters with civilians too quickly and resort to unreasonable takedown maneuvers that, like head strikes, could reasonably expect it to cause head injuries. As brutal as that is, it's actually par for the course for drug cops. Enforcement efforts against illicit markets largely made up of willing buyers and sellers inherently invites violent and intrusive policing. The laws and tactics employed to fight the drug war have transformed police officers from those who protect and serve to a force that, too often, actively searches the innocent and seizes for profit. Jonathan Blank's caution in a 2016 article for Democracy, a journal of ideas. Aggressive and antagonistic policing also increases the likelihood of disagreement, thereby increasing the possibility of escalation and the use of force that could lead to the injury or death of an innocent person. In the context of our current civil unrest, the drug war's normalization of aggressive policing within a system already mired in institutional racism has increased the frequency of interactions between citizens and police that have potentially that have the potential, excuse me, to turn hostile or violent, added Catherine Neal Harris of Rice University's Baker Institute for Public Policy in June 2020. But if efforts against illicit drugs lead to abusive enforcement efforts, it's difficult to see how similar efforts against illegal weapons will have a happier outcome, especially if officialdom does little more than redirect the personnel slapped for misconduct in their old roles to another prohibition. I'm going to take the narcotics unit and I'm going to make them the firearms investigation unit and look at seizing a lot of the illegal guns, Springfield Police Commissioner Cheryl Claproot boasted. Taking the Narcotics Bureau in a new direction into a new way of doing things, focusing on firearms, will find ways to reduce fear of crime and violence in Springfield, agreed Captain Brian Keenan, who led the Narcotics Bureau and will continue to lead the repurposed body in its new role against guns. 
In his willing shift from enforcing laws against drugs to enforcing laws against guns, Keenan resembles Harry Anslinger, the assistant commissioner of prohibition who became commissioner of the newly created Federal Bureau of Narcotics in 1930 as the federal war on alcohol sputtered its bloody way to failure and repeal. Anslinger wasn't the only former anti-alcohol crusader to shift his efforts to drugs. Some observers suggest that the Federal Bureau of Narcotics was created to provide job security for soon-to-be unemployed prohibition agents. But Anslinger counted among the ranks of those who are true believers in state intervention into people's lives, especially when they delike, dislike users of whatever is prohibited. This was, this, the war on alcohol and the war on drugs were symbiotic campaigns, Harvard historian Lisa McGurr turned reason in a 2016 interview. Those two campaigns emerged together and they had the same shared logic. Many of the same individuals were involved in both campaigns. While it is doubtless true that a spirit of bureaucratic self-preservation among prohibition and narcotics agents and a spirit of monopolistic protectionism amongst liquor manufacturers were among the factors which led to national prohibition of marijuana, it seems clear from the record that the major factor was a widespread racist fear of Spanish-speaking immigrants, Jeff Regenbach wrote in a 1980 essay for Libertarian Review that pointed to the overt animus that motivated early marijuana prohibitionists. Whether motivated by bigotry, self-preservation, or sheer control freakery, that we, the we-need-to-ban-something energy continues today. As the public turns against marijuana restrictions, Prohibitionists have toyed with multiple new candidates for enforcement efforts. Kratom enjoyed about five minutes of notoriety but hasn't really caught on as a subject of concern. Renewed efforts against cocaine have also been test marketed by the powers that be and doubtless remain a reliable fallback for Anslinger's successors. Vaping seems to be a current favorite for restriction efforts, perhaps because its popularity guarantees a large underground market and guaranteed work for enforcers. And then there are weapons, which have always made government officials nervous when in the hands of the public. Springfield's move is more obvious than most, but it was probably inevitable that abusive and discredited narcotics cops would be rebranded as agents of a war on guns than picking up energy and purpose in the hands of politicians who feel compelled to ban something. Don't hold your breath waiting for this prohibition to be any more successful or less abusive than those of the past. End of the article. Uh, so they're getting repurposed. Uh, we, we can talk about the war on drugs and the war on guns if you want, but I guess what do you think should happen to cops? You know, I, hopefully the answer is obvious. Who cops that, you know, repeatedly practice excessive force in violation of the Fourth Amendment of the United States Constitution, as the article said. Um, <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh. I don't know. I wasn't really interested in this article, so I'm All just right, gonna say, on, let's then. move on. <laughs> Which one do you, do you have a, a favorite then? Uh, no. Okay, just go in order then. Canada's wait times for healthcare are huge. Activists blame free markets. For the past 16 months, headlines have been broadcast across our television, cautioning us that the elderly and vulnerable populations are most at risk of the life-threatening COVID-19 virus if we do not stop the spread. Despite the preventative measures, long-term care homes have been hit the hardest by the pandemic. In Ontario, of the approximately 9,000 deaths in the province, 41% occurred in these homes. The public response to this tragedy has become a growing outcry to nationalize, quote-unquote, 
or rather have the providence, uh, excuse me, the province make all residents publicly funded and controlled. The worst part of this rallying cry, noble as it may be, is the assumption that LTC homes are private to begin with. In reality, the only thing private about long-term care homes is their name. These homes are almost entirely funded by the province, with the rest of the cost highly regulated. Doomed from the start, it is no wonder that these institutions collapse under the slightest amount of external pressure. When one says that a business is private, it conjures images of free enterprise and entrepreneurship. Even if that is not the first picture that comes to mind, one likely imagines that the consumer, or in this case, the patient, pays for the services. The unfortunate side effect is that people also think the greedy capitalist murdered my grandmother. Those who think this way are the folks who wish to gallop down the trail to full public ownership. While one can understand the sentiment, the basis of this outcry is flawed at best. In the 2020 April budget, the Ontario government spent $5.6 billion on LTC homes. This egregious sum of money goes towards all medical staff and supplies, recreation programs, support services, and even the grocery purchased for the home. The price charged to the residents is effectively an administration fee and covers non-medical support staff as well. The catch to this cost is that the province sets maximum levels for these fees essentially regulating what extras the home can and cannot afford. At most, LTC homes are allowed to charge $88 a day for long-term private room. It should be evident that all LTC homes are owned by private entities. They are hardly private in the economic sense, with government picking up most of the tab and regulating the rest. The new Democratic Party of Ontario has put together a plan to end for-profit health care. Still, they really have to ask themselves... If the government is already paying for all the medical care and controlling the rest of the system, how will more government control make this better? Although the answer is that no amount of further intervention could make it better, and it's best to examine why. Like all central planning, the NDP's plan and public health care in general face the economic calculation problem and knowledge problem hanging over them like the sword of Damocles. The problem that we see with the long-term care homes, such as lack of beds, long wait lists, Shortages of nurses and overall lackluster patient care are the exact same problems that plague the rest of public health care in Ontario and Canada. In Ontario, wait times for the in initial doctor visit to treatment are approximately 17.4 weeks, which also happens to be the shortest wait time in Canada. When one considers that Canada has the worst wait times out of all countries in the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, OECD, the situation is dire. Further, it is significant to note that Canada is the only OECD country with a 100% public health care system. As the government has no competition, there are no price signals in the market. Without these signals, no economic calculation can occur, and thus no optimum can never ever be obtained. If the goal is to make LTC homes better, why hand the system over to a government that clearly cannot run the health care sector they already control? If 100% public control doesn't work for primary health care, primary health care, how could it ever improve the standards for LTC homes? Andrea Horvath, the leader of Ontario NDP, and the rest of the party have no answers for these questions in their plan and likely never will. We know rent control and subsidies distort equilibrium for the worst, reducing overall welfare and inevitably harming more people than it helps. That is, in effect, what the government is doing for LTC homes. 
There's an enormous market for safe and affordable LTC homes. Let us increase investment and competition and thus availability. I highly doubt any politician would develop a plan that would lead to an improvement in health care. The best way to improve long-term care homes is for the government to stop planning, stop paying, and stop interfering. The sad reality is that no politician would sacrifice their votes in favor of a real solution. End of the article. So it's always fun to like see what's going on in Canada because that's the one that the left trots out as the ideal like healthcare <laughs> solution. Um, yeah. And so it's like it's foretelling of what's going you know what could be coming down the pike here. Uh, so your thoughts on that and why would they blame free markets for what's clearly government problems? Yeah, I mean this this article is uh well highlights the, the inefficiency and stupidity of of central planning and so no surprise um yeah it's really weird because whenever a government program fails it always gets more support not less yeah well because it's always so, short on money like what we need is just more funding for this and then they get it at taxpayer expense yeah so i'm amazed um, i'm amazed at those those wait times like 17.4 weeks so I don't want to share like too much detail because um, it's a little personal, a little private, but like I got to go get um, like a blood test done and I'm paying out of pocket because I'm, I'm uninsured here in New Hampshire uh, by choice. And like, so it, we're like, you know, well, what do we have to do? We got, the, we got, you know, we got the order from the, the doctor that needs the blood work down and we're like, just go to the lab and get it done. You know, so I'm like, okay, so I, I call the lab and I didn't get to speak to anybody, but I heard enough of the message and it was like, uh, yeah, just come down with the, with the order. Um, uh, and if you want to make an appointment, you're more than welcome to do so, but you can just show up. So I, the, you know, the, the last time we had to do this, this, that's pretty much what I did. Like woke up early enough. So I, I wasn't waiting in too long of a line when we got there and just, you walk in and you go like, here's my paperwork. And they go like, okay, stab, stab done, done, run the credit card and you're out, you know? Nice. Right. Um, and M had, uh, had to like switch doctors for something because her, her primary doctor was being a little bit of a douche. Um, <laughs> and again, I don't want to get into that. Um, and she's like, well, I need to find a new doctor. And even here, like a lot of doctors were booked up. Like, uh, we're not going to be able to see you till like August. And then she found one. I was like, oh, yeah, no, just come on in. You know, I think I, I can't remember if her insurance covers it or not. Uh, but I'm, I'm highlighting the fact that there are, because even though it's not like a completely free market, it's still better than Canada insofar as we can still shop around, mm-hmm. right? Like we're like, well, you know, uh, early on in, in, you know, what what's going on, we're like started with like, you know, the, the best company in the Northeast, Right, like this is the place you go for this type of medical service, and they were dicks. They're like, we don't want to use those guys. Like, fuck them. Um, and so we like canceled all the plans and went to a smaller facility, you know, that treated us better, you know, because we could, be, you know, because even even though it's medicine and it's important or whatever, the the mere fact that we had choices and options means that at some level. Right, they have to compete for our dollars, and usually that means better service and better quality. Um, are there is there enough? Like, would I like to see fifteen more of these? Like, 
pop up around town and all compete. Sure. Um, but I'm also not naive to the fact that, you know, that it's not, it's not as free market as we would like it to be. Uh, but I also wouldn't be blaming the free market, you know, for, for their failures either. Right. You know, if, if, if the government, if the government's in charge of everything, like it is in Canada, you know, like, well, how can, how can you, how can you nationalize it any more than it is now? Right. Like what, that, that would have <laughs> been nice. For harder. <laughs> right. That it would, it would have been nice. I'm sure, I'm sure there's another, like a link somewhere in this article that explains that part. Right. But the, you know, the, the public, res- there is a quote from the article again, the public response to this strategy has become an owing growing outcry to nationalize, you know, and do what, you know, like, do you not, do you not see like what, what part of the, what part of the free market you think is failing here and what, you know, and what do you want to see nationalized? If it's, if it's already being paid for by the state, you know, do, do they want to see the, the, the uh, province of Ontario? Do they want to see them build more buildings, right? Hire more people, uh, you know, to, 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 to make these homes better or more, you know, or safer for these patients, like what's what is the call for? Like oh, nationalize it, but to do what? You know what what isn't being done that they think that having more government control is going to do? Folly, folly, and yet you know I would I if someone complained about the U.S. healthcare system, I would I would support that claim as well. Like it it definitely needs to be improved um, because it's clearly not the best, but it's still it's still better than going full single payer or full nationalized or whatever. I like to me, that's just asking for trouble um, and more people going further South for medical care. Like people do for, you know, certain drugs and dental procedures and certain surgeries like South yeah, America, right. South America, take your American money, pay cash, get it done by a competent doctor there. Yeah. There is a, <clears throat> uh, one hospital in, I think Oklahoma, that uh, doesn't accept government government insurance, and I, I'm not sure if they accept any insurance at all. But um, anyway, so there's one market based hospital that exists. Yeah. So so it has prices on everything. So you go you go there like this is what I want, and this is how much it costs. Yeah, I forget I forget the name of it, but I know which one you're talking about. And yeah, there you know, it's 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 weird that it's only the one in Oklahoma. Like mm-hmm. no other, no other doctor's office has figured it out yet that you can be successful doing this and that there's a market for it. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't, you know, I, I don't know how it became like a career, but I used to, I, I, I know some people and I remember seeing ads for, um, be, be, uh, start your career in like medical coding and billing. Right. Have you seen those things pop mm-hmm. up recently? Okay. Like that, in, that entire career, I guess this is a job creation program. That entire career exists because of how difficult it is for doctors to bill patients through the insurance <laughs> company, right? Like they, yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's now a specialized occupation to read through, decipher all the codes just to go like, okay, I provided you this service. Here's how much money you need to pay, you know? Yeah. So it goes to this whole billing and coding system and then if you get it wrong, well, then, you know, good luck getting paid for like six months because you got to resubmit, refile, you know, re- reprove that you provided the service. Yeah. And then there's people that are able to figure out the system and scam 
the system and scam the government. And so, yeah, there's, there's uh, I think in Florida probably had the, the highest cases of, of people using the, the system to rip off government for billions of dollars. See, I'm okay with that. Like get, get it back, get it back. However you can is kind of, you know, well, <laughs> they, they got a lot more than, than they put in for sure. Um, sure. But if, you know, if, if, if you're robbing the robbers, like, am I supposed to feel sympathy for the government? No. Like, no, you should, you should not defraud the state of their hard, hard stolen funds. Right. During the, the, the PPP loans scams that, uh, are people are getting busted for now. I'm like, good effort. Right. You know? <laughs> If, if they're going to be handing out money and they're not going to be fucking double checking, you know, their paperwork, most number one, because they're incompetent. And number two, because, hey, it's not really their money. So they, they're not incentivized to like monitor where it's going and what it's going towards. Screw them, you know, by all means, start 15 corporations tomorrow in preparation for the next PPE loan. Right. That way they can't say like, oh, no, you, you formed your company too soon, you know. Like at this point, everyone should have an LLC of some form or fashion, right? Just so that it's on paper, just in <laughs> case they start handing these out again. Like, no, I, my corporations existed for a decade. You know, it's, it hasn't been successful until I got these PPE loans, but screw it, you know, get it. <laughs> but I, yeah, you, I don't, you know, def, defrauding the government. No, forget it. Maybe the insurance, maybe the insurance companies. And I don't want to, I don't want to commit to that. Because that harkens back a little bit to the conversation we had last week on the the intermingling between state and and corporation, right? Like there's it was it was very evident with the with the stories that we did last week with Facebook, you know, with the government telling Facebook what to do and who to ban. And me and you, MC, agreed that, you know, Facebook probably would have done it anyway. Like that they, they seemed to be in alignment, so it wasn't like they were being forced against their will necessarily. Um, to, to me, it was more like, you know, a, the government as a user of Facebook was reporting a post, right? Facebook going like, oh, no, thank you for reporting that. That's definitely not something we want on our platform. Um, but there are other people who see that and, you know, will, will, will say that Facebook is an arm of the government and... I'm almost there, right? Like I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent convinced yet, but I, I see their point as more valid than I did, you know, several years ago. Um, and I say that because with the insurance companies like intermingling with state regulations, right? Like you're, you're forced to carry insurance, um, for, for a lot of things. And they're like, well, maybe, right? Like maybe I'm okay calling that like an arm of the state, right? And people will say the same thing for banks. Um, the, the crypto six, right. Being, you know, being charged federally right now. Um, we don't need to talk about that too much. Uh, you know, we've covered it in the past and there's other outlets to cover that. It basically, you know, they're getting in trouble for defrauding the banks um, because the banks won't accept crypto payments or they won't accept dollar bills that have been, you know, exchanged for crypto. Um, and some people will say like, well, screw the banks because, you know, they're another, they're an arm of the state apparatus, right? The, the state tells the bank to do something 
like seize your account or close your account because you're associated with Bitcoin or, or whatever. Um, and the banks comply, right? Like do, do they have a, do they have a financial incentive or motivation to comply? Is it in their best interest to, you know, harass their customers? Probably not, but the state demands it. And so they do. And so, you know, and, and so if, if the banks, uh, the insurance companies, you know, social media, if they're like an arm of the state, um, then you don't feel so bad when bad things happen to them, right? All the bank bailouts was another one, right? The too big to fail stuff. Well, if you're, if you're taking that much money from the government, right? Because you, you have, you know, friends and, and relatives or whatever working at that side, then there's a level of collusion that extends beyond, um, beyond free market capitalism. And, you know, therefore it's okay. And I'm like, I'm, I'm almost there, right? Like, I don't want, I don't want to let go of the principle of separating, you know, the, the public interference of government with the inter interworkings of the capitalist economic system, right? Like I was, I had a conversation with someone like I hyphenate, right? A narco capitalist. And the, the, the reason is be, you know, because capitalism is a loaded term and most people view that as, you know, government controlling a market. I go, okay, good. Then let's fix that. Right. We don't need to create a new term. Let's just hyphenate the one we got, you know. So the, the anarcho comes there with the, it's like everything good about capitalism minus, you know, the, the interference of the state governments or the, the state or the government. And I think that, you know, the, the person I was talking to kind of gave me the, the, the nod of, okay, I can, I under, at least I understand, I don't, may not agree with you, but at least I understand what you're talking about. And so if, you know, if those things are going to be intermingled in, then they're not really a part of the free market capitalist economic structure. And so, yeah, you know, if, you, if, you're, defra- if you're defrauding the insurance company or defrauding the banks or defrauding Facebook in some form or fashion, um, no big deal, I guess. Like I'm not, I'm not, go- I'm not going to rally to their defense. I don't, I'm not willing to commit to like it being A-OK and moral yet. Um, but the more evidence I see of those those collusionary efforts like Facebook and all that, the the more I go like, yeah, no, totally, do your thing. Um, <laughs> MC. Yeah, yeah, I I think uh, you know a lot of people say uh, they're trying to figure out you know what type of system we actually have, and of course, well, it's a mixed system. Um, and everything is getting mixed up, so <laughs> it's I think it's impossible to be completely separate. Um, you know, the, the most free market things are black market things and, and maybe, maybe that's it. So sure. <laughs> it's, uh, but you know, I'm, I'm not saying that people should try to defraud banks, but I think maybe if someone does defraud a bank, there's actually no, no victim. Um, you know, who, who's, who's hurt when, uh, a large bank gets defrauded. Well, the bank, the, the bank, the bank stockholders, yeah. the bank shareholders, right? It, it may not be a large damage. It may not be a large amount of damage, right? But there's, you know, fraud it, on an individual level, fraud is fraud. And if you, you know, if you, if, if you defraud the bank um, in, in a free market, you know, anarcho-capitalist system, if you defraud the bank, um, you've gained they've lost there's damage there i don't i don't know i I think it's possible that it's it's well it it might be impossible to prove there's actually damage okay 
it's it's I think it's assumed um, if you take money from a bank that that there's damage there, but uh, there might not be because you know the the, the shareholders are still making money. Um, the banks are still you know super huge, and um, maybe they get reimbursed by the federal government. Okay, when, when there's money taken, so I don't know. Maybe there's actually no damage. Yeah, so and, and again, there's I can, no victim. I, 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 I'm more open to that line of thinking under the current system. But if yeah. if if I want to if I want to stretch that and go like, you know, in a moral society, right? In a in a complete in a society of of a hundred percent liberty, complete anarchy, would I hold the same view? And I'm not ready yeah. to say yes because no matter how big the bank is, the shareholders still might be getting their their cut. Uh, but if you have defrauded them, oh. their cut is fractionally well, I, smaller. And I don't, yeah. you know, I don't want to say I that's morally okay. Are, the banks are involved in fraud too, though. So it's just it's just legalized fraud. That's all. Okay. So you're so under the current system, you're okay then. Like you know, not th- not that you're advocating it, but if someone goes like, no, no, the the banks got defrauded uh, by someone running a scheme, you go like, they fucking deserved it. You know, <laughs> Pretty good, much. Good for the goose. Good for the gander. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. the The way I see it is, it's more like uh, the uh, the system has been gamified, and so it's just a stupid game, and you can you know you can win or lose by playing it. Um, but it's just a game. There's nothing moral or Im- immoral about playing the game, and however you play it, it's it's all good. Okay. Um, and I've used, I've used similar analogies in the past, and I've said, well, if, if you see that, if you see it as a game, then the, the game has rules. And you, you, if, you, if you enter into the game, you play by that game's rules, right? And if, the, if there's no rules or the games allow for these loopholes and cheating, then by all means, take as much advantage as you want. Right? Like the PPE loans, right? They, they allowed you to fill out the form. Get that money, man. <laughs> yeah. It's part of the game. Uh, yeah, and if and if it's part of the game, then by all means, t- and I, I think this. Uh, oh man, do I want to trash on libertarians a little bit here? Yeah, let's trash on libertarians a little bit here. Um, that's where I think I differ as far as political tactics with the the morality police within libertarianism, right? Like there are there are ways to game politics, and libertarians would always raise a moral opposition to certain tactics. Um, because that's not what libertarians do, but then libertarians lose, right? And I said, mm-hmm. well, if you if you want to win, right? If if you want if you want to play this game to win, right? Here are the winning strategies, and you have to you know you have to use those strategies and maybe develop further from that. But here here's here's the starting point. Here's point A in in the winning strategy, and the pushback has always been like, no, 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 that's, that is immoral. You can't do that. You know, we, we are libertarians. We can't lie to voters. I'm uh, sure you can't just, just don't enact harmful policies once you're in office. But you know, everyone else lies to voters and wins. I think at this point, voters are used to being lied to. It's not out of the ordinary. It, it's not like they're going to like not to vote for the libertarian because the libertarian lied to them. They have no problem voting for Republicans or Democrats, even though it's very, very clear that they're being lied to. Uh, that is that is not you know that is not the the death knell. Uh, but nope, 
can't can't do that. We would rather lose with dignity than you know than than win win surreptitiously. Um, but yeah, so to your point, MC, if it's if it's part of, if it's part of the game, it's part of the game. And if you want to win, if your goal is to win the game, then you got to start you know taking advantage of those uh, those areas in which advantage can be taken. Moving on. All right. All right. Let's do this one because uh, we we've covered uh, similar stories. In the past, and like as I, I think I've said this before, seems to be a growing trend. Um, so here's another growing trend uh, of people getting away from it all. Young idealists go off the grid, get smeared as bigots in a cult. Uh, camped outside. Oh, this is just a quote from No Effects. Camped outside, laissez-faire. People understand me there. Don't talk to me. We'll get along just fine. No matter how you slice the pie nor whatever ideological analytical slant you apply, the modern Western lifestyle is a cancerous hodgepodge of mindless consumerism, performative virtue signaling, social virtue signaling, public school indoctrination, and innumerable environmental toxins found in everything from maybe she's born with it, Maybelline cosmetics, to hydrogenated soybean oil-laden Funyun chips, all of which conspire to rip to shreds the fabrics of society. The great struggle of the 21st century is not kinetic, but rather spiritual warfare. The people versus the corporate state. A group of young idealists banded together to do something about it, forming a nonpartisan Tennessee Hills commune based on subsistence farming, appreciation of nature's beauty, and mutual aid. Free land for free people is the essential ethos of the garden, as articulated by one of the residents with the pseudonym Tree. Predictably, the lifestyle journalists at Vice News got a hold of the story and distorted it from an objective accounting of an interesting alternative lifestyle into a fact-free smear job against transphobic racist QAnon supporters. Enter the cringe yet illuminating Vice News piece titled Cult or Commune, Inside the Garden, the, the penultimate odyssey into the diseased minds of online social justice activists. Uh, and there's a link there to the YouTube video, which we are not going to play or watch, um, but it's definitely you know something to check out later um, if you need context for this article. Because uh, now they kind of break down the video. At 35 seconds into the mini-documentary, an obese, pasty, self-identified, transgender Brooklyn SJW woman named Milo, who incidentally has never been to the garden, appears to debunk the garden by labeling, labeling its members fucking QAnoners. It's very Seuss, the woman who self-identifies as a transgender man says. At 6.33, as evidence of the Garden's right-wing QAnon beliefs, Vice plays a clip from one of the members of TikTok in which she states that people believe the government more than they believe themselves. Advocating self-reliance and self-assuredness is, of course, blasphemy to the corporate state, hence the Vice hatchet job. Of course, as anyone familiar with Vice's modus operandi predicted what was coming next, the hammer drops at the 12-minute mark. The hippies on the commune, Milo explains, are somehow virulent racist, especially since they're from Tennessee. She adds gratuitously in an obscene inversion of reality. 
the evidence of the garden's racism, a scarecrow, which if you contort your imagination into a pretzel, somehow resembles a black person. Uh, and there's a picture of the scarecrow in the article. Um, the head of the scarecrow looks like a black doll with Afro hair. Of course, right on cue, like a German train pulling into station, Milo then self-identified, Milo the self-identified transgender woman who exposed the cult as she admits in the vice piece in the service of gaining TikTok followers for herself, unironically plays the world's smallest violin on her own behalf as the bully transfigures herself into the victim. My comments are just like overloaded with transphobia and homophobia against me. Like everything that I post now, I was just like, I don't know, like, what do I do? I've also just learned like a lot of people have no self-awareness. In the end, Milo got what she wanted. The garden is now closed to the public due to the threats and harassment that she cheerleaded via TikTok. Rel, a garden member previously active on social media, explains, I don't know if the garden is going to uh, be back open. I don't know if things will ever be the same. We were trying to share with the world, and that's the reaction we got. We want to shut you down. Don't be growing food. Don't be bringing people together. Fuck that. We're going to tear you down. So the garden's closed. In the mini documentary's conclusion, the Brooklyn woman who self-identified as a transgender man celebrates the garden's closure. However, again, very predictably, just getting the commune shut down isn't good enough. She wants accountability, notorious SJW buzzword, for the vaguely defined racist or transphobic transgressions they committed or something. I'm definitely glad that the garden is no longer open. However, they need accountability, not only for what they've done in the past, but for all the danger that they could have put people in in the present. I feel like... I've done a lot, which was to get this place kind of closed down, which it basically is. The basic takeaway, aside from lamenting the destruction of another promising subculture under the guise of fighting systemic racism or transphobia or any number of imaginary hobgoblins, is that escaping the grip of these neoliberal totalitarians becomes harder and harder by the day, even for refugees who go off-grid in a remote stretch of land in the rural Tennessee hills. Uh, end of the article. So, your thoughts, MC? Obviously, it was a smear job, but comment more if you if you want uh, on people getting away uh, from the nonsense of modern day society. <laughs> I just think it's funny that uh, a, a liberal shutting trying to shut down a, a commune because they they supposedly all want to live in communes. But they also um, eat themselves. Well, <laughs> I don't. I don't know about that. <laughs> you don't know about I took that. that literally. <laughs> oh no, no. You know, like you mean so, so? Yeah, destroy themselves. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Leftist well, culture eventually turns in on itself because no one can well, virtue signal hard enough. Well, it's it's because there's unlimited uh, groups that they create, and so they they thrive on uh, identity politics and. So, yeah, it's it's a inherently destabilizing and negative, uh, destructive uh, thought process. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, I, it's it's just weird. I don't I don't know why uh, it's even a difficult thing for people to uh, to uh, uh, I don't know what to think about. It's 
<laughs> what do I have mean? this? How do you mean? I have this video that ex- explains uh, Marxism and leftist uh, identity politics and wokeism, and I was I was kind of thinking about just hitting play and letting him explain it, um, but it doesn't really matter because uh, people that are attracted to identity politics and uh, they they like the resentment they like coveting what other people have and they, they view the world as uh, different groups with, with power and all these things have to be fighting each other all the time. Um, well, their so, view isn't necessarily wrong, right? I mean, the, the world is comprised of groups fighting with each other over power. Like that's, that is the history of the planet. And it's just, they're, they, they exist in their own little microcosm of that. Um, Fighting. No, I mean they they exist to create the the fighting and the uh, resentment and yeah. bitterness. That's it's not saying you know. I I'll admit there's 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 groups and there's uh uh what do you call that uh, privileges stuff yes. like that. But um, but that doesn't mean the ideal is to is to separate everybody by their skin color, <laughs> you know, it right. just doesn't make sense. Right. So the point I was making, like uh, a few weeks ago, I don't, I don't remember how long it's been. There was the, the infighting amongst the libertarians here in New Hampshire, right? There was like the, a schism, a fracture in who the official libertarian party of New Hampshire was going to be. Right. And you've got, you know, these, these two groups fighting over this minuscule, amount of power and authority because just because of how you know small the libertarian party is on a grand scale right and then you have these you know these leftists um and and in this particular one causing the trouble right because they know that they're never going to grab hold of true power um like at the at the national state level right where you're like the, the power to destroy massive amounts of lives with you know with the order like bomb that country there right and just you know boom the whole country's gone so they're fighting over this smaller amount of power in their own little world in their own little realm trying to dominate others right like who cares if there's a handful of people on a commune in tennessee right what what effect what impact does this have on this uh this transgender dude's life right nothing at all they have no control no impact over her life but because she i don't even know uh, he because he has no control over anybody else's life or even her, her his or her own life um she then she then projects outward and to see whom she can control right and if and if she can if she can be the force right the 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 impetus for getting this commune shut down then to to her right it's like yes i have control over other people right i i can make these things happen um, and i think that is the the culture and the mentality of a lot of those on the left and on the right but now it manifests a lot more on the left in in modern society where that they're just seeking their small little bit of control over to others uh, and just like true power right once, once you get a little of it, you just you seek to expand it as much as possible, which is why it's getting more pervasive um, throughout the entire culture because they just keep pushing. They push the limits. They get they get a little bit more control, a little bit more power, 
and they can keep expanding outward um, until hopefully they are thwarted at some point. Does that make sense? Sure. I just, I, I just, um, I just wish there was a way to get through to people instead of, oh, well. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I, I hear you. Um, I'll, I'll mention this briefly. This, this, it was a question posed this past Sunday on Free Talk Live. It was like, you know, why are libertarians so bad at selling the ideas of liberty to other people? And I was like, well, it's, it's simple. The, the answer is very simple and easy. It's because when confronted with other people and, and the libertarians are trying to pitch these ideas to them, right, they don't, they don't do it with proper sales techniques, right? The first thing they do is go into like testimonials as to why this thing is so good and so much better. And, you know, the proper sales technique, right, would be first to assess the needs of the person you're trying to sell these ideas to. Because not everyone is looking for more freedom. Not everyone is looking for more liberty. Um, And so you're never going to sell them on those ideas because it doesn't fill a need that they currently have, right? So our, our goal should not be to pitch these ideas necessarily to everyone we come across, right? But to find those who are actively seeking out more liberty, more freedom, and then saying like, boy, do we have a product or an idea for you to get behind? Because if you want more freedom and more liberty in your life, this is the thing, this is how to get it done and go about it that way. And I'm, you know, I, I may not be the most compassionate person on the planet, uh, but I am okay leaving a whole bunch of people in the dust and way behind um, if they are not ready, willing, and able to accept more freedom and more liberty into their life. Like, y- y- you can have the scorched earth. We're moving on. Final thoughts? True. Um, well, I mean, I think one of the things that makes, uh, uh, well, a- any political strategy, well, is or, or a sales strategy, is ne- negative information is more potent than positive information. Um, and it's, I just, I don't know why people resonate with, oh, capitalism is bad. Um, it's like they can't look at things ob- ob- objectively. Um, I don't know. Well, okay. Well, uh, let, let me take a shot at telling you why then. It's because they have been told from an early age, right? Part of their indoctrination was that America is a capitalist society. Whether it's true or not is irrelevant, Right. I was told that I'm sure you were told that like that's, that's the story throughout, you know, much of our generation's youth. And then you come into a, you, you, you come into that and you go like, I'm not successful, right? I'm, you know, hundreds of thousand dollars in debt for student loans, right? I, I work a shit job that barely pays, you know, a, a living wage, even if it might be over minimum wage, Right. That's not supposed to be the result of a capitalist system. We're supposed to be prosperous. Right. You work hard, you prosper. I feel like I'm working hard. I'm not seeing that prosperity. Damn it, it must be capitalism. Right. And then, well, what's the alternative? And the only alternatives being marketed at the moment is communism and socialism. And socialism is doing a damn good job of saying, like, look at this failure of capitalism. Look at all these ultra rich people making it difficult for you to be wealthy as well. 
let's go take theirs and give it to you so that you can be richer than you are now. That's it. Sounds pretty horrible. If if they were told that this was socialism and communism, they would be rallying and asking for capitalism because they would get the same result with the, with the different uh, brainwashing early on. Hmm. Well, and that's, that's kind of the root of it. It's, it's not even uh, their solutions that are, that are the problem. The thing is, is, uh, getting control of people's discontent. Yeah. Well, that's it. And so if you can make somebody resentful, then you own them basically. Okay. So if you know that, then that should be the marketing strategy for your position, right? Yeah. I I just think it's not a moral thing to do to make somebody resentful. And and that's why libertarians lose. You caught up in this whole morality thing. (laughs) Get them resentful, give them a solution. And make sure that solution is one of free markets and free enterprise and freedom and liberty. That's it. All right. All right. Wrapping it up. That'll do it for us. You guys know where to find us. Anarchistexperience.com on Telegram, t.me slash anarchistexperience or t.me slash the anarchistexperience. Look us up on Clubhouse. We have the uh, the club now. The Anarchist Experience is the, is the club. Um, if you can't find it. Uh, link is somewhere in the show notes, or you can follow me directly at riches for rich R I C H E S the number four R I C H. And if you would like to contribute to the show financially, you can do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash the anarchist experience. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll talk to you all next week. Peace.